Thank you, Cora. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. My name is Jared, and I am the pastor here, and it's wonderful to get to preach this morning, to open God's Word, and welcome you here. Uh, if this is your first time with us, fantastic. If you've been here all, I don't know, we've been here nine times now, I think, fantastic too. Uh, we, we, we're glad to have you here, um, and it's a privilege to get together and um, join. Uh, we're, we're a Christ-centered church. We're all about the Lord Jesus, and we're also a Bible-teaching church, and so we'll be opening the Bible, and um, pr- I'll be preaching from that in just a moment. Um, and I'll lead us in a prayer now, and we'll get stuck in, so please pray with me. Father in heaven, uh, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of us here love food? Yeah, cool, nice. Uh, That's a pretty positive response. Uh, I love food. You can ask my family. Um, My brother and dad are keen golfers, and I used to play golf with them a whole lot um, growing up. This is related. Uh, not, not because I was so much a keen golfer, but because I was a keen eater. Uh, I knew that after we were done, we were getting breakfast, and it was going to be good. Uh, there'd be bacon, hash browns, eggs, sausages, pancakes, syrup, the works. Uh, and there are so many amazing foods that God has graciously given to us, aren't there? I would hazard a guess that most of us love to eat, as, as many of us put our hands up just a second ago. And today's Bible passage records some people asking Jesus a question. They ask Jesus, why are John the Baptist's followers and the Pharisees' followers fasting and your followers aren't? And the practice known as fasting refers to going without food, not eating. And it often went along with mourning or sadness, hence Cora's confusion as to why I titled this sermon Party Time. Jesus shows why his disciples weren't fasting by pointing to his identity. And it's also by pointing to his identity that Jesus shows the only way for us to be right with God. So we're going to be looking at Jesus, the bridegroom. I don't know if you've got an outline in front of you, but that might be helpful. Um, But it's not too complicated, so uh, you should be able to track anyway. So the big point that we're looking at, first big point is Jesus, the bridegroom. Does anyone know what a bridegroom is? <laughs> less, less response than the food. Uh, <laughs> I remember being confused by this term as a child. I was like, I know what the bride is. I know what the groom is. What's the, the bridegroom? Well, well, fear not. You, you don't need to be confused any longer. Uh, I looked it up, and uh, <laughs> it means the bridegroom is the longer form of, of the word for, for groom. So it's the man around the time of his wedding. And Jesus uses this term to refer to himself. Jesus calls himself the bridegroom. Let's have a a look again at verses 18 to 19. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, that is saying to Jesus, why did John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. Jesus points to his identity as bridegroom as the reason why his disciples weren't fasting. The reason why they were eating when others weren't was because the groom was with them. It makes no sense to fast at a wedding. It's a time for feasting, not fasting. It's a time of celebration, party time, if you will. (laughs) 
who loves weddings? Not as many people who's, who love food, but still, still a positive response. I have to say I'm a big fan of weddings. Uh, the joy, the love, the commitment, the celebration, the music, the dancing, the people keep, who keep telling you that they remember you when you were this big. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> some people have been to some weddings. Uh, and of course, the feasting. No fasting in sight. It's a time of celebration, not a time of mourning. Even the tears are happy tears. It's party time, and that's why there's no fasting. So let's explore what it means for Jesus to be the bridegroom. What does Jesus' identity as bridegroom tell us about him? The first thing, first point there is it tells us that Jesus is God. The first thing to note is that in the Old Testament, God described himself using the same terms. God spoke of himself as the bridegroom and his people as his bride. Hear this example from Isaiah. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Jesus uses that same image to refer to himself. And so far in Mark, we've seen Jesus claim to be God a number of times. And here is another example. By using the term bridegroom, Jesus points to his divine nature, the fact that he is God. This is no ordinary bridegroom, but God himself, whose people are his bride, whom he has come to bring to himself. And the way we see Jesus love people It's clear he is truly divine. He cares for the sick. He casts out demons. He has compassion on those doing it tough. He never gives in to temptation. He lives his life in the utmost purity. He never lies. He never cheats. He never lusts. He never gets out of control. He welcomes the outcasts. He eats with the people the world rejects. He challenges the rulers of the day and their corruption. He forgives sinners. He calls followers. He brings freedom for the captives. This Jesus is kind without compromise. He's perfect without pride. Jesus is God, the bridegroom. Come for his bride. To see what God is like, look no further than Jesus Christ. That was the first one. Jesus, the bridegroom, is God. The second one, Jesus is loving. The picture of Jesus as the bridegroom helps us understand the love that Jesus has for us. When we look at weddings, we see a man and a woman lovingly commit to one another exclusively for the rest of their lives. And it's the love part that I want to focus on right now. If you've been to enough weddings, you'll encounter someone who seems to be in the know about weddings. Uh, they, they sometimes drop mysterious statements uh, to, to stir the pot a bit, some, something like that. So they might, they might say to you something like this, when the bride walks down the aisle and everyone else is looking at her and how beautiful she is, I don't look at her. And we're all like, what? What do you mean? What, what, what do you mean? It's her wedding day. Why are you not looking at the bride? She's coming down the aisle. Where are you looking then? Uh, and then after the shock factor is worn off and they leave it for a sufficient amount of time, uh, they, they, they come out with this, this absolute pearler where they say, there's plenty of time to see how beautiful the bride is throughout the day, but that moment 
when the bridegroom or the groom sees her for the first time on their wedding day. That moment is so precious because you get to see his love for his bride. And at which point we go, oh, and and realize that the person we're talking to isn't as strange as we first thought. (laughs) And and it's true. I do that now as well. You see, so guys respond different ways. Some guys are blubbering messes like I was. (laughs) Other guys are beaming with smiles. (laughs) But it's all, all for happiness. So by telling us that he is the bridegroom, we get an insight into how Jesus looks at us with love beyond measure. Like the bridegroom who deeply loves his bride, Jesus deeply loves us. But Jesus' love for his bride is even greater. It isn't a fleeting blink-and-you'll-miss-it moment, but a purposeful, eternal, glorious, redemptive love that flows from God himself. Do you know that Jesus loves you like that? Maybe you feel like no one's ever loved you. Well, Jesus does. He loves you. And it's the most awesome truth. Two ways we see Jesus' love are in his commitment and in his self-sacrifice. So point number three under the bridegroom there is committed. The first way we see Jesus' love is in his commitment. The use of the bridegroom image points to Jesus' commitment to us. At weddings, the man and the woman say vows. They make binding promises to one another to be there for one another through thick and thin, no matter what happens. This kind of relationship is a covenant, a promise, a sacred union. At a wedding, we often hear the words, marriage is not to be entered into lightly. And Jesus is the archetype of the one who did not enter into marriage lightly. Jesus is the ultimate example of the committed bridegroom. True love is committed. Jesus is committed. Love and faithfulness go hand in hand, both in in Scripture and in the world around us. And God's love, Jesus' love, is demonstrated in his commitment to his people. We've glimpsed Jesus today. It's not hard to see why it was such a celebration to have him, the bridegroom, around. We've seen his divine nature, his love, his commitment. Yet with that in view, we're confronted with the reality that we we don't match his perfection. We've seen Jesus is radically committed to us. But what are we like? We aren't like the faithful bride who always delights in her husband. In fact, when we look at how we live, what we say, think, and act, we're much more like the unfaithful bride who cheats on the bridegroom, tries and fails to cover it up, and no matter what we try, can't restore that broken relationship. And that's where each of us find ourselves before the perfect God. Broken people who need to be whole, but who can't make ourselves so. Sinners who need to be righteous, but who can't atone for what we've done. People who deserve God's judgment for our rebellion, but who can't work our way into God's good books. And so we need the bridegroom who can rescue us, which brings us to point four, self-sacrificial. The second way we see Jesus' love is self-sacrifice. Jesus' love is radically other-oriented. 
His love seeks the benefit of others. And Jesus' love epitomizes the very essence of true love itself. Here are some of Jesus' own words. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. There is no greater love than Jesus dying for us on the cross. Jesus, who is God, came to this earth to save us from our sins, to rescue us from our rebellion, to pay the debt we owed God for our wrongdoing, a debt that we could never pay. We needed a bridegroom who would rescue us. Jesus is that bridegroom. And Jesus has paid the bride price. What was the payment? His own blood shed on the cross. You see, to make us right with God, to restore that relationship that we never could, Jesus gave his life in our place. Crucified, humiliated, killed, put on a cross, Jesus paid the price of our redemption, the price to set us free, his own blood. See with me in, in verse 20. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. Jesus told them that the bridegroom would be taken away from them. And when did that first happen? Jesus was taken away from them when he died on the cross. That wasn't a time of celebration. The disciples were mourning then, devastated that King Jesus had been crucified. But that wasn't the end of the story. You see, Jesus came back to life, powerfully raised, not a ghost, not some memory, but the real flesh and bones Jesus come back to life. Why? Because death could not contain him. Jesus is more powerful than even death. And then Jesus returned to his Father and sent the Holy Spirit to be our comforter, advocate, and guide. Jesus is present with his people by his Spirit now. But we still long for that day when all who belong to Jesus will see him face to face forever. And fittingly, wedding imagery is used used of that day too. That will be the consummation of this marriage as Jesus and his bride feast at the wedding feast of the Lamb. A banquet is coming. For all of us who said we love food at the beginning, this is, a banquet is coming and it is prepared for Jesus and his people to enjoy in the life to come. The question we need to ask ourselves is how do we respond to Jesus? Because our response to Jesus determines whether we'll be under God's judgment forever or whether we'll be at that banquet with Jesus face to face, enjoying the bridegroom forever as his bride. Which brings us to our big point too. How do we respond to Jesus? This is the most important question we will ever answer. How are we going to respond to Jesus the bridegroom? And like a marriage proposal, there are only two options. One, we reject Jesus, which is our default position. Or two, we turn and trust Jesus, the Savior King, which is the only way to being right with God. So those could basically be summed up as saying no to Jesus or saying yes to Jesus. Let's consider those in turn. So the first one, rejecting Jesus. 
Rejecting Jesus is our default position, and it takes many forms. Let's look at two of them. Uh, you might say to me, Jared, I think it's nice what you're saying about Jesus, but I'm actually a pretty good person. I, I don't need saving. When I do something wrong, I make it right. If there is a God, I've done enough good to outweigh the bad. Let's call this response climbing the ladder. By this, I mean trying to earn God's approval by doing things in an attempt to make ourselves right with him. And so many things in our world work like ladders, don't they? Work hard, get a good job, get a house, get security, respect, and so on. Other religions work like that too. Be a good person and you'll restore your relationship with God or reach enlightenment or whatever is at the top of that ladder. And we all by nature fall into the trap of thinking that our relationship with God is just another ladder for us to climb. That we could make ourselves right with God by climbing up to him. Like the Pharisees who wrongly thought that fasting would make them right with God, we wrongly think that doing some good things will make us right with God. We think that if we do enough good things, they will outweigh the bad and God will be happy with us. But God is not a God of compromise. He is the God of perfection. We can't fool him into overlooking where we've messed up by pointing to other things that we've done. God judges fairly, which is terrifying for those trusting in what they've done. Because God won't sweep our rebellion under the carpet. He won't paper over the cracks. He'll judge it for what it is. Rejection of the giver of life which results in the just consequence of condemnation in hell. Another example of rejecting Jesus is tacking Jesus on, adding Jesus as some kind of optional extra to our lives. You might say to me, okay, Jared, I like the sound of Jesus. He sounds loving and kind, and I want to add him to my life. But you should know that I'm really busy, and I'm already following a whole number of other people, so Jesus will just have to be one of many people I look to in my life. Jesus isn't interested in a casual relationship. The image of the bridegroom makes that abundantly clear, doesn't it? Jesus is gathering his bride. A wedding is to the exclusion of all others. The bride of Jesus belongs to him and him alone. And Jesus shed his blood. He died for his bride. That's not casual, that's commitment, that's love. Further in this passage, Jesus speaks of how new wine won't fit in old wineskins and unshrunk cloth can't be sewn onto old cloth. Otherwise, in both cases, the new and the old are destroyed. They can't mix. Jesus and his radically new way is not something that can be made to fit other ways of viewing the world. It's all or nothing. Those are a few examples of our default setting, which is saying no to Jesus. So what is the alternative? Saying yes to Jesus, turning and trusting the Savior King. And it's only through this that we can be right with God. It's the opposite of what we just saw. Instead of rejecting Jesus, it's saying yes to Jesus, the bridegroom. To see Jesus, to see our need for him, to turn away from our rebellion against God 
and to trust Jesus as Savior. Instead of climbing the ladder, trying to earn our way, we recognize that we can never restore our relationship with God by our works. We could never climb our way to being right with God. And yet there is still that gap. So instead of trying us, us trying to climb up to God, we trust Jesus who is God, who climbed down to save us. We trust Jesus who bridges the gap between us and God. He has done everything necessary to restore our relationship with God. He died to pay our debt. He rose to defeat our enemies of sin, death, and the devil. So we come to Jesus with open hands, ready to receive the gift of salvation he offers. This is not something we earn, but something we receive. We turn away from our old way and trust Jesus the only way. And instead of tacking Jesus on, we recognize the relationship that he wants. It's not casual, it's committed. A loving, committed relationship, the ultimate marriage. And so for him who gave his all for us, we don't hold back any area of our lives. We recognize that Jesus paid the bride price to set us free, that we belong to him, and that we have the joy of using our lives to serve him. Jesus calls us to turn away from our default position, to turn away from rejecting him, and to trust him instead. To do this, we must acknowledge our rebellion against God. We must acknowledge that we deserve his judgment. And we must put our trust in Jesus, the only one who can do anything about it. Jesus, the bridegroom, who came for his bride. Option one, our default of rejecting Jesus, saying no to Jesus, leads to judgment. Option two, trusting Jesus, turning and trusting the Savior, leads to life forever with him. I urge you to choose option two. Trust Jesus today. He's God. He's loving. He's committed. He's self-sacrificial. He's the one worth loving, worth committing to, worth trusting, worth following. He's the bridegroom. Jesus is worth living for because he died for us. If you want to put your trust in Jesus right now, I'll lead us in a prayer in a moment that you can join in with, where we will acknowledge our sin, acknowledge our need for Jesus, that we deserve his judgment and ask him to be merciful to us. This is what it looks like to turn and to trust. But before we do this, I do need to mention that following Jesus is not always easy in this life. It's not easy, but following Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth living for because he died for us. The only way to be right with God is through the Lord Jesus who shed his blood on that cross. Jesus, the bridegroom who's gathering his bride and who will one day feast with her forever in eternity. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are perfect. We are not. I confess that I've rebelled against you 
and deserve your judgment. Forgive me, I pray. Have mercy on me, a sinner. I turn from my old way and trust in you, Jesus. Jesus, the bridegroom. Lord, would you be pleased to save me and bring me into your kingdom, to make me part of your bride. We look forward longingly, Lord, to that wedding feast where we will enjoy being with you forever, face to face, the bridegroom with the bride. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.